Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. EYL University is the biggest online platform for education, but it's much, much more. It's actually a community. Our private Facebook group has over 8,000 members and 20 infinity groups. The students teach themselves just as much as the professors do. We have weekly webinars. We have over 100 past webinars. You get access to MG The Mortgage Guy's Real Estate Blueprint. You get access to monthly financial planning calls with yours truly. You get access to our monthly group chat investment calls and much, much more. So. Go to EYLUniversity.com right now and take advantage of our limited offer, blowout sales, 65% off of the annual membership. EYLUniversity.com right now and become an earner. My graduates from my school being Forbes, backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> F- a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Shout out to everybody that's been checking out the Wealth Principles. Man, everybody has been giving great feedback on so far. Everybody has thoroughly enjoyed what we have going on. John, what's going on? Them boys in LA, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to do it. Slight work. Slight work. The same cribbo from last time? Nah, new. Damn, you guys are (laughs) huh? Real good. It's a good look on EYL. But you no. guys need to have, you guys need to make some summer swag then. That's a fact. Yeah, that's in the works. That's, that's in the works. That's in the works. It's, in the it's works. a little chilly out here. It's still a little chilly but, out here. But but it can't be tank tops, man. That's cost of entry. I need some fly summer. <laughs> nah, nah, we got it. We got it, man. You know but, whose line I like? Whose summer line I like? Uh, n- honestly, not. I'm a big Nas fan just in general, but but history that that history line, line? history real yeah. smooth. It's not as popular, but it's real smooth. Shout out to Nas, man. I got a few history people. Nas here, Jones. Um, all right, boys. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Another week, another episode of The Wealth Principles. Thursday, Wealth 6 Principles, p.m. Eastern man. time. Diving Let's into go. special topics every week. Special guests. PDFs available for download. You already know how it is. Um, Man, this week we got some heat cooking. This week we are going to talk about the... Um, Mandy, can you fix my light? Uh put it more more head on please um this week we're going to be talking about startup secrets we made a little pivot we made a pivot we did a pivot initially uh, i was thinking we would talk about real estate but i figured man a lot of people could talk about real estate um but based on the the feedback from last week i thought um what are some of the things that we could talk about that that i feel like are unique to my experience and so we came up with the startup secrets framework. I'm going to share my screen. Well, but before I do, but before I do, before I do. Right now, I'm in the middle of, you know, I started a company. I raised venture capital. It's called Loop. And in this company, you know, when you're a startup like EYL, like Loop, like many startup founders out there, you have every reason why you're going to fail working against you. 
you have the weight of the market, you have downward pressure, you have timing, you may break up with your co-founder, your team may get unmotivated and quit. You may not catch your stride in, in time. You may run out of money. You may have to take a job. You may split up with your girl and then have all types of shit going on. There's so many going on, but I guarantee you when Jeff Bezos split up with Mackenzie Bezos, nothing happened to Amazon. I mm. still was able to, uh, to get my package next day. Um, and that's because that business hit maturity. But before you hit maturity, you have to navigate through the seemingly shark, the endless, uh, endlessly sharkish waters that, that is navigating a startup. Um, so I am very excited to share with the audience here, by the way, I announced today that I am making angel investments. I'm making angel investments, not the major, but I'm throwing 10 K checks out to the different founders out there who are working on some special shit. So if you hear this and you think you got what it takes or whatever the fact may, whatever the case may be, hit me up. I might be an angel investor in your company. Might be. I made two investments over the last few days, boys. Back up in so the game. Yeah, let's not let's not breeze <laughs> over that real quick for anybody on YouTube or anybody on university. So you are you're getting back in the angel investing world and you and you have allocated ten thousand dollars for different businesses that you will personally be invested in? Yes, sir. Ten thousand dollars a pop. I hope to make maybe five, seven angel investments this year. And uh, yeah, I guess the, the difference between what I was doing before was I was a venture capitalist. So I was investing other people's money professionally. Now I made a little bit of my own cash and I'm going to be putting my own cash in these companies. Now, look, 10K is not going to make it rain for any startup. However, you are also going to get um, the little bit of chops that I do have, um, some of my knowledge, some of my marketing chops. Um, and I am going to um, put that to work. So that 10K is probably more like a 100K investment and could potentially help some of you founders out there. So get at me. Um, how, did, how did they get in contact with you if they got a business that uh, potentially, uh, you know, they want you to take a look at? Yes, sir. The best way is the Loop waitlist. So head over to loopinsure.co slash EYL, loopinsure.co slash EYL and join the Loop waitlist. Um, uh, but secondly, um, you can hit me on, on, honestly, you can hit me at, by maybe, hmm. I should I have to make an email called pitchjh. Pitch I'm going to buy pitchjh.com and then you'll be able to hit me. But in the meanwhile, you could just hit me direct, man. Jh at cofoundharlem.com. Jh at cofoundharlem.com. And um, yeah, man, the 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 people have been hitting me all day, um, and I wanted to open the show with that. So let me let me let's get into some concepts. We've been popularizing the word framework. Let's get into some framework action. This is the Well Principles, and we are on episode three of four. Three of four. This is it. 75% of the way through the series. Um, get it here while you can. Otherwise, um, it, these nuggets may not be around for you. But today, if you go to loopinsure.co slash EYL, you can download this framework and use it at your leisure. Um, like that. Right. <laughs> so okay cool man so look there's a few lessons here riches and niches riches in niches this is by far the most prevalent theme that we'll be discussing i'm going to keep this particular presentation on the shorter side because we have my boy none other than song Laurent, uh who's going to be chopping it up with us by the way his company squires worth 250 million dollars i know because it was reported on TechCrunch. 
raise 70, 80, 90 million dollars, something crazy like that. It is now the de facto barbershop booking platform that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know my shit. I'm not gonna hold you. I know my shit, but Song knows his fucking shit. Like, bruh, <laughs> you guys know me because I talk a lot. Song don't talk. He just does. And and I'm I'm excited to learn from him. Now look. I've been talking about this all season long with like over love, man. But some of you guys, some of you gals out there are, you can't resist the temptation. You're thirsty. You're thirsty for likes. You're thirsty for shares. You're thirsty. You're just thirsty in general, man. And when you're thirsty and you don't resist the temptation to grow quickly for growing quickly sake, then you build lukewarm products, experiences and services. And that is a losing strategy. That will get you all the way to bankruptcy. So now, how do we how do we keep competitors at bay? You got to build a moat. All right. Now, this is something that's often discussed, but we're going to break down also what a moat is specifically because I hear a lot of people say the frame the the phrase, but they don't really talk about it. Okay. So now let's explore what most people try to do. Um, in my experience, that I've uh, potentially. I definitely have made this mistake before. I'm potentially remaking the mistake, but to a lesser extent. And that is most startups try to boil the ocean. Okay. You try to boil the ocean. The market is a lot bigger than you. Ideally, if you're going for, for two, two, two niche of a market, then um, it's a no go. But for the most part, any market out there, the total addressable market is going to be much, much, much bigger than you can afford to take on. You don't have enough dollars, you don't have enough resources, you don't have enough time, enough people, enough talent, human human talent that is, um, to come at it. And so when you try to boil the ocean, you're going to dilute your, uh, your proposition and your resources to no end. You are not going to heat up the, the, the ocean even one degree. So instead, what I like to do is head into the market and find a segment of the market that is more comparably sized to the size of your startup, right? So for example, to put it into context, EYL media is a large, large, large business. Um, and the vision is to take the world by storm. However, you first focused on a very urban audience um, and you do that in your delivery, what, whether or not it was, you know, of course it was intentional, but there, there are so many things that came about as a result of authenticity. For example, the guests that you would attract on the platform and so on, um, you know, from wall street trapier mains, the trap, you know, you know, like all, all the guests, all the brand, the swag, the collective ethos that is EYL, you, you went and found a segment of the market that leads to this right here. This is where you want to be when you're a startup. Okay. You had the minimum viable product, right? Which, which has been discussed often, but what is discussed less often is the minimum viable audience. And then the space in that overlap in the middle is much, much smaller, easier to cover territory. Okay. So for example, Loop is an insurance. If we try to tackle all of private passenger auto, that's a $256 billion a year market. Man, we only raise a few million dollars. Progressive spends that in a day. Um, probably more than that. 
So we would never win if we were going toe to toe. However, what we did do is find a very, very specific audience within the large field that is insurance. And what we're doing is resonating real, 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 real deeply with them. And it seems like we're covering, we're, we're making grounds. We're, we're making our way. And our dollar can stretch a lot further here in this particular arrangement. Um, this graphic is a, sh this shout out to Y Combinator song from Squire is a Y Combinator alum. That is the world's most successful startup accelerator that created Airbnb, Dropbox, not created, but funded. Um, uh, and one of them is Squire. But, but this I learned from them, and that is, this is fascinating here. On the left-hand side of this graph, this is the, the amount of, that people like you. The light blue is like. The red is love. So here's, here's the fascinating thing. You, you start out here in the middle with no one liking or loving you. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people that scale a lukewarm brand, service, product, podcast, where people only kind of sort of fuck with you, it's misleading because when a lot of people like you, you think, oh, well, all I got to do is convert them to love me. But you're actually much, much further away. Like and love move in the opposite directions. So when you get a lot of people that like you, <laughs> that lukewarmness, you, you now have a lot more mass that you have to heat up to convert it into a deep, 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 deep affinity. So when you're a startup, you're actually much, much better off focusing on a small amount of people, users, listeners that really fuck with your shit heavy. And then you can ensure that you grow in the right direction. And this here is what I believe um, is the perfect startup storm. Um, now, we talked a lot about a moat earlier. We, we mentioned a little bit about a moat, a moat being something that can keep your competitors at bay. But people say that, but then they never say what the fuck it is. Well, what is it? And so then people have like, they, they talk about IP a lot and patents, but patents are, I personally believe patents are to a large degree bullshit. People say, oh, you need some IP. Uh, I guess, but I was going to invest in a startup that needed, that needed IP. Um, uh, but guess what? You know, what large companies do is they, they will surround your patent with a portfolio of patents. Patents are very expensive to make and they'll fucking bury you in legal costs and outdo your competitive edge. So patents are hardly ever the answer. Um, the answer more commonly is technology, but that's only one part of the, of the equation. A, a novel segment um, and a unique business model, all three of these or two of these or just one sometimes is enough to be a disruptor. And so, for example, a great, a great example is, uh, in my opinion, is Zipcar. Zipcar, you know, didn't really innovate on a whole lot, but the business model. So they, you know, you were able to subscribe to a monthly, you know, arrangement with them. And, and, uh, and that was enough. Uh, for Loop, we have unique technology. We do not have a unique business model. We have unique technology and we're servicing uh, a very particular segment. So that's been enough for us. Um, so for anyone watching, listening, will watch, will listen, um, consider these three 
elements here. These are the buckets with within which you can innovate. Um, so you do not need all three. You do not need all three, but having one or two work in your favor gives you a reason uh, to have the market, uh, you know, have it work in your favor a little bit because it's hard to break through. So a lot of depth there. Um, and I walked through them quickly. These are available for download as usual at loopinsure.co slash EYL. But look, those, that's the frameworks, man. That's the frameworks that, um, those are the things that I have thought about consistently over the last 10 years. Easy as I've built my, my respective businesses. Um, I see a number of you guys raising your hands. I'm happy to take questions. Um, although first I definitely want to chop with my brother's song, Lorong. Uh, someone asked lupinsure.co slash EYL. Yes. Oh, uh, no, not Lupin. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we're going to link it up. We're going to link it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, link it up in the, in the YouTube. But first we got my boy song. What's good, bro? How you living, LeBron. man? Oh, man. It's good. It's great. A living legend. What's going on, brother? Much, man. How you feeling? Everything good, good. bro. I like good. that new Squire swag. Did you guys do a, a a brand refresh, or is that just like a limited edition? Yeah, we got some new. We got some new merch out. Uh, dropped like last month. I can uh, I can get you one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yo, yeah, send me one for real, for real, for real. Sure. Uh, also, shout out Debut Capital, whom is a mutual investor in us. Uh, I just invested in their fund uh, right. today. Uh, and so that maybe de facto makes me an investor at Squire. We'll see how, <laughs> how it does work out. <laughs> no, it's not always working. So, uh, so EYL community, I'm really pleased to bring Song in uh, into the EYL orbit. Song, you, if you don't know these brothers, man, Rashad and Troy, co-founders at Earn Your Leisure, building something real, 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 real special. Two cats came out of fucking nowhere and somehow beat Dave Ramsey, Tim Ferriss, and all these other whack motherfuckers who have <laughs> the rip. Hey, we got to bring John on, on the road with us. Yeah. Um, bro, I'm stopped everywhere constantly uh, for being on the Earn Your Leisure show, like real talk. So um, so, so um, it's great to make the introduction. And I would love for Song to jump on the Earn Your Leisure show proper. I think, I think that having an in-depth uh, discussion would be really, really, really rich for the community. Now, just as a cliff note intro to Song, man, Song and I have been connected for a minute uh, uh, in the streets of Holland. We were bumping to each other so many times at random different cafes and shit. And he was working on the early, early days uh, of Squire. And at that time, I was working at Co-Found Harlem. Squire is a platform. I'll, put, I'll let you put in your own words, Song, but as best I understand it, you know, it's a platform that at this point has grown to be the end-to-end solutions that barbers need to power their barber shops. But mm -hmm. talk about those frameworks. You might have glossed over them, but I was talking about, you know, the MVP meets minimum viable audience. Uh, Squire started at first as a scheduling tool and then eventually rolled out additional microservices. Once they got their foot in the market, rolled out additional microservices, and now it's capturing the full value chain um, in the barber um, in the barbershop industry. Um, and man, you've Squire has broken out. It was a tough fight. It was a tough battle. I saw, I'm sure it seemed many times like, uh, I don't know if it was going to shake out in your way or whatever, you know, I'm in my head sometimes about the shit too with loop. Um, but you know, 
in the last year, you definitely have broken through. TechCrunch reported you guys have soared to a $250 million valuation. Um, I hate to focus on valuation or dollars raised. I actually love to focus more on the fact that your product is used. People mm -hmm. use your shit. I'm here in Austin. I went to go book my barber and he was like, yeah, you squire. Like, that's it. You have become the ubiquitous. Like, you broke through. You crossed the chasm. So, hey, hey John, uh, before, but, uh, the, the crazy part is that when, when you sent the, the information, I didn't realize it, but I've been using Squire for the past two to three years for, to schedule my son's barbershop appointments. <laughs> so, son, I, I want to thank you because what you have done is saved us a lot of time <laughs> of sitting in, in the barbershop waiting for hours for appointments that people walk in and say, I was there before you. So, I appreciate you. <laughs> that's, that's, you music song. that's music to my ears, man. Yo, let's zoom in for a moment. Um, uh, the the people could go and, and find all the info on like the early early days of of you know Squire, but let's zoom into a moment on the days maybe that it was actually that maybe might have been hardest um, because now you're you know the you've hit escape velocity and you have the market dynamics working in your favor. I might say, mm -hmm. um, but I'm curious. When was the time that it was most difficult for Squire and, you know, just kind of double click on into that, zoom into that and walk us through like what the, what were some of the challenges that could have been existential to the success of the business? And what were some of the things that you felt you did well that, that you maybe others um, didn't? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, shit is hard. It's hard building companies. Um, and even at this level that we're at now is still difficult, but it's just different problems. But earlier on, um, those problems, you know, they were existential, you know, like if we didn't figure out how to raise money in a certain time period, you know, there's that risk of, of running out of money or if we didn't figure out, you know, how to, uh, find somebody that could actually build a product for us. Uh, so both my co-founder and I, neither one of us are, are programmers are technical. So when you're, when you're early on, you don't have the money to like pay for, you know, a good engineer to, to work for you. So it can be really hard just getting started and actually getting your idea out into the real world to start trying it and testing it and selling it. So those were some of like the, the really, you know, the really tough times. I'll say like the first, the first year, you know, it took us almost a year to just get an MVP out, you know, that minimum viable product that actually we could have people start testing and using. Um, you know, we went through about three, uh, you know, engineers that we tried to work with and didn't work out. And, you know, it took months for us to figure out that, wow, you know, we should have had something that we could actually see and play with as we build it. We thought, okay, you're just gonna send me the app when it's ready. Like when it's finished, send it to me and I'll start selling it. But that's not how product development works. Uh, so, you know, we learned that the hard way, but um, there were many, many, many challenging, challenging times in the early days for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and what what were some so when when the MVP was when you finally did learn that lesson and, and got it out there, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening and me myself, I'm in this phase now where I'm like, I'm trying to get people to use the damn thing. Um yeah. what were some of the things that you guys did in those early days um <clears throat> to to get yeah. people to use Squire? So those days, those days were fun. YC calls that doing things that don't scale. And in the early days, it should really be the founders doing as much as humanly possible to, to get to know their customers, to get people to try it, to test it. So we, we were literally walking to barbershops, 
you know, spend the whole day in a barbershop talking to customers, talking to barbers. And this is in New York. And you, New Yorkers <laughs> aren't known to be the most friendly, you know, people. So sometimes we walk in a barber, we're like, yo, what the fuck? What do you want? Like, are you getting a haircut or not, son? Like, what's good? So we have to like, we, we, we were like, I'll book a haircut or a, a beard trim or something like just to get his seat to talk to him <laughs> for, for 15 minutes or half an hour. Like, I'll pay for your time. Um, and it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was tough. But fortunately, eventually, we were able to get some people that were interested in, in, you know, in trying it and, and using the app. And on the consumer side, right now, we're much more of a B2B company. We focus on selling to barbershops. We don't really focus on building a consumer brand. Maybe in the future, we'll do that. But right now, everything is super focused on driving more new barbershops and barbers to the platform. But at first, we didn't know that. So we were trying to do like this kind of consumer marketing thing and trying to get barbers at the same time. And we were just all over the place. And consumer marketing, as you probably you know this, I'm sure, it shit is hard. And <laughs> you don't have the big budgets. Um, right. you know, fortunately, you're great. You know, you're, you're really great at marketing. So, so you'll, you'll, you'll be able to do it. But like we didn't, we didn't have, uh, you know, that kind of platform to, to get the word out to the masses. So we used to do just random uh, shit in New York City. I don't know if you remember. We used to do like uh, chalk signs on the sidewalk, Townboat <laughs> Squire app. It was actually pretty good. Like it was free marketing. We would do it all over the city, and people would be like, "Yeah, I heard about. I saw that at uh, Union Square." <laughs> um, so you know, whatever you can think of, you have to be creative in the early days. The good old chalk. How, how did you know? How did you know? Um, how like when was that moment that you learned like yo okay we're gonna cut our losses on the consumer thing and focus on like on going barbershop because that sounds like a pivotal decision yeah. in the squire trajectory. Yeah, well, I mean, a good thing about being early stage is that you can get so much information so fast and iterate um, based on the data that you're getting, and it was very clear that these individual barbers and consumers was not fucking with our app. <laughs> Frankly, like we just weren't getting usage. You know, they would, they would download it and just not use it because they didn't need it to run their business. Mm. And when we would talk, talk to the owners, the owners would be like, yeah, the app looks cool, but um, does, is it going to integrate with my point of sale system? Can I track inventory on here? Can I pay out? I've got six barbers that work for my shop. Like, are they going to use it? So we were like, wow, you know, we need to build something that the owner can use for everything to manage everything. And it was pretty clear, like based on the feedback from our, from our customers, like that's what the market really was needing and would respond well to. Uh, so we actually ran a barbershop around that same time. One of our customers was going to close the shop down, down in Chelsea market, uh, downtown. And we actually took it over for about eight months and, and put ourselves in the shoes of our customers. Cause since we couldn't get anybody else to, to use it, we use it, we use it ourselves as, as shop owners. And during wow. that time, we were like running the shop and also building, building the, the, the platform, kind of like the, the V2 of Squire. Sean, for, for the beginning stage, where did the innovation come from? Was it a series of experiences that you've been through um, at, at, you know, going into barbershops and saying this is a waste of time? Like what, what sparked the innovation? Yeah, it was exactly that. It was, it was solving my own pain points that I think are very universal uh, that I experienced, my co-founder experience, like like most people, you know, I started going to the barbershop six or seven with my dad as a kid. And here it was two decades later and it hadn't changed. It was the one area of life that innovation and technology was just totally overlooking. And it didn't make sense to me that you have to just walk in and wait for an unknown amount of time 
<laughs> every <laughs> couple of weeks to get a haircut. Um, that, that these shops didn't take cat, didn't take card. I had to pay cash or go to the ATM and pay the ATM fee. So there was just all these little, you know, minor annoyances that just seemed like they should be able to be improved with, with technology. And that was the, the impetus of just like solving our own problem. Um, at what point did you scale to the point where you started to take outside money uh, for people that start in businesses? And, you know, at what point did you think you needed it? And when did you realize, OK, this is this is how we're going to go about doing that? Yeah. Um, so I, we needed it very early on um, in, in order to be able to build a product and to kind of get that initial uh, traction. But it was it was difficult. Yeah, at first, uh, I quit quit my job to work on Squire as did my co-founder, and it was about a good eight months to a year after that before we actually were able to raise some some money. Um, which you know, going eight months with no no paycheck, you know, gets real really quickly, and 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 the personal you know financial risk you know you start to really feel it as your bank account is going down every month and you're not getting anything in. Um, so. Many of us, meaning like black people, you know, people of color, we generally don't have the wealth position in our families to kind of go to the rich uncle for, for friends and family around and get a few hundred thousand dollars. Uh, so we weren't in that position. But fortunately, being in New York, being professionals, we knew some people uh, from like finance, you know, tech, mostly black professionals who did believe in us and who kind of like gave us those early angel checks that were, enabled us to get to the next level so we could raise a bigger amount. Uh, later on, what, what's yeah, that process like? What's, no, go, what's go, the ahead, pro- go ahead. Yeah, what, what's the process like of creating how much your your, your uh, company is going to need as far as series uh, rounds of funding? Like, what do you? How do you yeah. do the evaluation in the early stages? Because you're just starting. Yeah, in the early stages, it's very it's, it's it's much more art than science. It's 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 a balance of um, you know, coming up with terms that are that are reasonable and kind kind of fair. Like everybody knows that there's not a lot of data to, to really come up with a precise valuation very early on. So the investors are, are really just placing a bet on the founders and, and the vision and that they'll be able to execute on it. Um, so from when we, we got that initial check, which I think was like 2015-ish till now, evaluations have skyrocketed. So like what was normal then for like a first money in, you know, pre-seed round, now, you know, is like probably three or four X that, you know, John would know better than me. Um, but, at, you know, at the time, we, when you don't have a lot of options, you take whatever you can get. So it was kind of the terms that, that people would agree on and you just kind of take it and, and move on and, and just get back to business. Yo, what's fascinating to me is um, the problem that you chose. It's like, it's a common problem, which means it's an enormous problem. Um, but you must have faced undoubtedly and probably to a lesser extent now, but maybe you even faced this qualm at the A round, which is like, yo, it's a big market, you know, like it's a me too business. Like everyone could do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and I think that similar thing could be said of like the, in- the industry that I'm in insurance, uh, in, in beauty, in cosmetics in e-com, so you happen to pick a business or, or the business picked you, whichever way, but um, you were in a space where it was, it was large. There was no clear winner. So I guess you had that to your advantage, but what were some of the ways that you v- were able to verbalize to those initial, initial believers that you needed to get on board to survive 
um, about like why you felt like you could, you could do this. Yeah. Earlier on, the Marcus asked question was, was something that we had to grapple with. And I think more than anything, it was, it was a factor of, of one, just blind spots for VCs. Like a lot of these guys are like, you know, 60 year old, 50 year old, super wealthy dudes. Like they probably don't go to, they probably go to some high end salon or something like they weren't very familiar with barbershop, with the barbershop culture and community and how important it is. Um, so just convincing them that, look, this is actually like a big opportunity um, getting past the bias that some people would have, not everybody, but a lot of people would assume, oh, this is black barbershop business. Since my co-founder and I are both black, so we would have to like, be really proactive saying it without saying it, that look, this is a general audience, like this is for all types of barbershops, which is annoying, right. but it's just, one, you know, it's just reality that, that, that you face. Um, and another thing is just because it is an underserved market, there's not a lot of publicly available data out there on the number of barbershops in the US. So if you like Google search it, you'll see like some department of labor number that'll say something stupid, like there's 8,000 barbershops in the US. So like lazy investors would just like Google and see that and then be like, hmm, well, here they say 8,000 barbershops. So how do you think this time is? I'm like, there's 150 million men. I know that voice, yeah. <laughs> 150 million men in this country, at least. You think right. that 8,000 barbershops, like, really? Like, it's just not, it's nonsensical. Um, right. so, so we would have to really, like, do our homework to say, look, you know, we scrape all the Yelp's data and, you know, we can show that there's at least 200,000 conservatively. Mm -hmm. And then if there's 200,000 shops and we can make this much per shop, like, here's how you show, you know, 100 million plus revenue, you know, business. And you have to really break it down and kind of spoon feed them sometimes um, to get past their biases. Let me, mm -hmm. let me let me ask you this because I've heard some um, the other day somebody I forgot who said it but there was like a lot of um, startups um, you know in the A round that that's when they're most vulnerable because they need the money the most and they don't have any real leverage so you know the angel investors and the VCs will come and they'll get you know bad terms so they'll get like seventy percent of the company for a couple hundred thousand and then by the time they get to the later rounds they've diluted their share so much um, and it, it really hurts them because they, they took so much money. They took a little bit of money at the beginning, but now the company is worth a million times more, but they're screwed. So what's your, what's your, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think regardless of the round of this, the founder is at a disadvantage if they don't have competition amongst the investors. So whether mm -hmm. it's the A round or, or the C round, if you need money, uh, to fund the company and you're not profitable, which most startups aren't, um, and you don't have competing interests amongst, amongst investors, then that investor has a leverage. They can mm -hmm. say, look, here's the terms, take it or leave it, and this is what I'm going to do. But if, if, you, if you have mo at least more than one interested investor, automatically your valuation is, 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 is going to go up significantly because now they're in competition with each other and they both want to win the deal. I mean, it's basic market, you know, market dynamics like you know, supply, supply and demand. Like the more the demand there is for your shares, the higher the value it is going to be. Um, mm -hmm. But I, the way I look at dilution, though, is that it's really it's, it's if you're going the VC, you know, funded route, you know, trying to create a growth scale company, like you're going to get diluted. Um, but the the bigger way to look at it is like, what is the the total pie that you're having a, a slice of? Like, you know, if, if you only own, you know, 10% or 8%, you know, of a, of a $5 billion company, like you're still very rich and wealthy. 
um, you know, versus you can own 100% or 90% of a small business and, and not have as much wealth um, relative to, you know, a bigger company. Um, so, you know, that, that's how I look at it. But the main thing that you want to do is get multiple investors interested. That, that's the best way to not get diluted. Sean, can, can you take me through the range of emotions that you've had over the past year? Um, I mean, especially here in New York, barbershops were closed. And so that hurts the business. But knowing that you have a product that can thrive in that type of environment because you have contactless payments, right? You have scheduled appointments, which allows people, the flow of people in and out to be minimized so that it can meet restrictions. What, what, what were your range of emotions over the past 12 months, man? Yeah, 2020 was wild. It was a wild year, like nothing I've ever seen or predicted. Um, in Yo, the- I'll, also wait one, one thing real quick is uh, we <laughs> when we hosted. So we did a Cadillac. We did a dinner for Cadillac uh, called the Driven Ones, 2019 at the close of the year, <laughs> and Song was was invited, and there was a moment where we was having conversation and. So I don't know if you look back on that, but I do sometimes and I think, yo, <clears throat> that was at the close of the decade. And I remember at one point we was all like, yo, 2020, cheers. And everyone was just <laughs> toasting. It was, you know, the market was just kept, it just kept going up. It was so frothy. There was just so much money around. And even at that point, um, Song, you had just announced your $8 million Series A round. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, the market had all different types of things in store for you all. Um, but I wanted to to uh, to slip that in there for the listeners for context. Like, you know, 2019 was a hell of a fucking year, and we thought that you know 2020 w- that would continue. Um, but I think to Troy's point, your your business had all different kinds of interesting dynamics play out in 2020. So yeah, we'd love to hear it. <clears throat> yeah, and at that dinner, I don't know if I told you before, but like I was already raising the B. You know, we, it wasn't public, but we were raising the B at that time, and you oh, know, we had shit. competitive term sheets. And the whole thing was in danger of collapsing. Like I was so stressed. <laughs> you know, you know how deals always go. They're always in danger. And like, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And it was like very significant. So I was like, man, I said I was going to go to this dinner. So I got to go. But in turn, oh, shit. <laughs> I was so stressed that night. <laughs> uh, but it ended up working out. Um, and we were fortunate because we closed uh, on the B, uh, the second close, like in March 2020, right before so so when when all the barbershops shut down we had you know 40 50 million whatever the amount we had a a lot of money on the balance sheet so that relieved the stress because we weren't going to be in danger of like running out of going out of business but also allowed us to focus on how can we help our customers to your point like you know our, our platform really has been preaching a lot of these things but the pandemic was an accelerator um, mm. and, and force a lot of businesses to kind of level up and embrace technology. Um, so 2020 was crazy. I mean, it was very scary, very, very uncertain in March, April. But um, when, when, when shops started reopening in like May, June, going into the summer, we, we started doing more numbers than ever, uh, which was like wow. unexpected. And that, that propelled us, gave us the kind of the momentum to then raise the sea uh, later in the fall of that year. So all in all, I mean, it was probably our best year uh, just in terms of growth and revenue. And, you know, we, we went from about 30 employees to 100 in mm. 2020. Is, that, is During this time, is this where you're uh, becoming more innovative with the microservices? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we, it was always our vision to, to, to expand on our offering and build what I call like the Squire ecosystem and, you know, to do pretty much everything that these businesses need. Um, but the pandemic forced us to think of other things that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of um, to help them while they were closed down and as they were, as they were reopening. Um, but yeah, we did launch a few of like, uh, you know, the, these, these types of businesses during that time. One of them, for example, is Squire Supply, which enabled the barbershop owners to like buy everything they need to run their business, like the alcohol, the neck strips. Uh, we included like uh, PPE so they could buy like the masks and, and you know, wow. uh, um, disinfecting and all that stuff on our system and get a direct ship right to their uh, shop. So they don't, they don't have to physically go to the you know beauty supply store or wherever to pick it up. So those, those kind of features are things we rolled out like in the midst of all this chaos. Yo, how'd you how'd you execute that? Was that like did you buy did you find like a common denominator of goods that were needed at scale, sh- uh, ship them to a facility and ship them out, or did you use a vendor partner and make a little a margin that way? Yeah, so that's the first way is what we originally were, were thinking of, and then um, we were like, you know what, we don't want to be holding all this inventory. And you know, taking on that risk, so we partner with like one of the biggest distributors, um, and then we do we do like a, a rep split. But our customer only is interfacing with Squire, so everything that they do, they're fulfilling on the back end, um, and then we have access to, to every SKU like imaginable that that they would need. So, so you pretty me- much like you did a loss leader where it was like the scheduling um, tool built your brain in the industry and the space, and then you you kept kind of introducing more and more services and now you have you're at the place where you know where we kind of all want to be as a business where it's like it's the platform play Mm -hmm. now people go to squire for anything and you can kind of introduce additional services as needed and just continue growing the business that's just that's hot bro like that's why we get into this shit for like damn hats off man hey look we've got a long way to go but that's the vision and that's what we're trying to execute on but but we have so much room to grow man and so many more barbershops to get on squire but yeah that's 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 the vision right here so let let me ask you this because i know we don't want to harp on the numbers but it's not every day that we get to speak to somebody that his company is valued at 250 million dollars and i think that that's an inspiring story for um, anybody that's listening, but more so than being inspiring, we're here to provide information. So how does that, how do you, how do they determine that level of like, okay, this is what your company is valued at. Um, I know John has spoke about that. So maybe he wants to add too, as far as like valuations for companies, but we hear these numbers all the time. Like this company's valued at this company's valued at this. What is, what does that mean? And how do they actually determine that? Yeah. Um, John, as, as an investor, <clears throat> could probably speak more from like investor's perspective. <clears throat> perspective, but um, um, at this at this stage, what what they're doing is is they're 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 looking at the company's dynamics, the, the unit economics, um, and they're looking at the revenue and like the growth, like how fast you're growing, and they're applying a, a multiple on that um, because what they're trying to do is project. Uh, how big this company can get and what it could potentially like IPO for and what kind of you know returns they can get. Um, so you, if you can show a, a paint a clear story, like this is where we are now, this is how we're going to get to, you know, a billion plus you know, valuation. And it makes sense because the numbers are, are, are defending it. Um, then investors are, are okay giving you mul- multiples that are like, uh, you know, software type multiples, meaning that this it's, it's bigger than you would get if you were just like a regular brick, brick and mortar business. The way they value companies is very much like projecting future earnings and future growth. 
Um, so that's that's kind of I know that's that's a kind of vague answer, but that's really what it's based on. It's still not 100 percent science. It's an art and a science. Um, but from my perspective, they look at like how much revenue you're doing, how fast you're growing, and they compare you to other companies in your industry um, or in, in your space. And they look at what they've done and then they base the valuation on that. I mean, that's John, what do you think? I mean, I, you said it eloquently, man. I think I think that's exactly right. And I think that from one of the things that has surprised me is really how much of it comes down to storytelling. Mm -hmm. so, and I've noticed you've used that word a number of times, something that we think a lot about in the venture industry, but people, I believe, mistakenly over index on the metrics, but you can never have enough sales growth or any hard metric for any VC. And I bet you, you can take, let's say we could live in a world where we can call in a situation. Let's take the same exact business with the same exact metrics, the same everything and then put two founders with the same business to go and sell it. And you will have different valuation results based on who told the story the most confidently, but also who told the grander story. Mm -hmm. And in VC, there's a paradox that I've noticed that has adversely affected our communities as a whole. And that is that, you know, going smaller is safer because it's more familiar, but going bigger works better in venture because it's harder and there's something about a bigger vision that is grand it, it just puts that it puts it gives you that face it makes you go oh you know and it makes other people say yo damn this shit could work potentially and if you think big enough and it's, if it's the vision is just crazy enough then it just might work um so this is really a game where um it's a home run theory you know um and you go into it for you know to 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 slam it out of the park man um so that that's kind of so I agree with you, man. And I guess I want to selfishly ask, you know, of course, a lot of the audience will be in the earlier stages, but um, man, there's a lot of talk on early stage shit. Like, I'm curious, like, you know, before we get to audience questions, like, what's the, what's the type of shit that you're thinking through now? Like, you know, yeah. there's probably mad decisions that you, like today, Thursday, April 22nd, 2021, there's mad shit that you're thinking through, working through. Um, put me in, in, uh, in your shoes for, for today and all the type of stuff you think through. Yeah, man. I mean, what I love about this game is that you're constantly having to like level up and the company that you're running when you're one to 10 employees is like fundamentally a different company than 10 to 20, you know, 50 to 100, 100 to 150, like where we are now. Um, so like, if you're going to be successful, you have to, you have to be learning, you have to be uh, have a very like what I call like a flexible mind. Like you can't be rigid in your thinking because the shit that you learned that worked, you know, six, you know, a, a year ago, it, it, it stops working. You know, so you have you have to be thinking of like how can I almost like reinvent reinvent myself to continue running this company successfully. So it, it's a challenge, but it also keeps it interesting. It, 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 yeah, I've been working on Squire longer than I've done anything else now, six years professionally. But it never gets, at least it hasn't gotten stale because it's so dynamic. But to answer your question, now at, at this level, it's, it's very much about like recruiting executives, um, you know, keeping them motivated, inspiring them, setting out the vision of the company. Um, there's issues that you have to think of that just weren't on my radar, like how important like people is and HR. Like that's, that's not something that you think about early on right. i didn't but you see how important it is and how important the culture is 
Um, so th those are the kind of things that, that you know, are, are, are on my mind now. Um, it's, it's, it's different when you haven't met personally Right. majority of the employees that work for your company. <laughs> Not only because there's so many now, but also because they're hired in the pandemic. Right. And we've all been working remotely. So it's like thinking about ways to, to kind of solve for that and to keep the culture and to keep a sense of community amongst everybody working at Squire. It's uh yeah, this a lot a lot of challenges, but it's exciting. Man. Yo, how, so how do you run teams, right? Because like at this point at Loop, the teams are small enough that you know, I could pretty much have my hands on in in a lot of the product teams, but like at this point, there's no way you're interfacing with with all the uh, you know employees. So like, do you kind of have like a suite of like captains around you that, and then you trust that they're da 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 da? But do you ever start thinking like, yo, fuck, someone's slack, you know, someone's not doing their shit somewhere down the line, or like, you know, it would give me nerves and like not be as involved pretty much. <laughs> You have to be willing to kind of give up that level of control at some point. Um, and, and you have your executive team. So those are usually like your direct reports. And then they each have, you know, the, the, their people that re report to them. And it's very like hierarchical, which we never were. We were always very flat, but like you almost can't. It's impossible to scale to, to this level, like without having some kind of systems and hierarchy uh, um, in place. Um, but I think it's okay to still get your hands dirty, but you got you have to optimize for like what you're actually really the best at. Like like I've heard that that uh, Elon Musk like still like works on like design like like for for like you know his products Tesla, Tesla and SpaceX because he's an incredible you know designer and engineer. Um, so like that that makes sense, but like you, you can't do that for every group. Like you have maybe there's like one or two areas that you're still like down to like get get your hands dirty in, right? But it's, not plausible. Yo, Fun. last question I have for you real quick. Sorry, sorry, Ewell. So a lot of people know me, but that's because I'm just talking all the fucking time, <laughs> right? But it creates this false perception that in order to be a startup CEO, that you have to over-index on the media and be on all the panels and things like that. So to me, is is very fascinating because it's almost more rooted in pure skill and execution when you're not out there. So what's your thoughts around like you haven't been a more private uh, CEO, but you've hit, you know, uh, scale. So what's your, your thoughts on that and, and tips for people that don't see themselves as inherently extroverted or whatever? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, my thoughts are you should, you only have so many hours in the day. Right. So you should optimize your time on doing things that are going to move the needle the most uh, for your company. And that very, very may well be media. And, and that stuff, you know, if that's the nature you know, of your business, if you're creating a consumer brand like you are, like the return on your time is there. Um, a lot of people do it for the wrong reason. They do it for the ego and like to feel successful. But mm. my thoughts is always like, if you build a big company and you build, and, and, and you build a successful company, like you can always be famous later. Like if you're rich enough, especially if you're black, like there's so few of us, like you can always, you can always play that card if that's important to you. Uh, but for me, it's like not, not, not really important. Like I don't mind doing it. Like people ask me to, to speak on things and, and generally, you know, I, you know, I'll do it, but like, I don't go looking for it because it just doesn't move the needle for, for, for our business. Like barbers are not reading TechCrunch. 
Barbershop owners are not, are not, they don't care about that. Uh, but when it comes time to fundraise, you know, I, I will strategically utilize, utilize, you know, these resources and these channels um, because like you do, it is important on the investor side to have your name bubbling a little bit, but also I'm of the mind that like, you don't want to be too accessible. It's good to have a little mystery. <laughs> so I, I want to talk really quickly because and we'll open the floor for all our earners uh, to ask questions because one of the things I know you're, you're very proud about is global expansion and so I want to know if you could just share maybe some strategies and some techniques that you're going to use to make that uh, vision come to fruition yeah I, one of the things I love about our business and, and I love about just the nature of, of startups you know technology companies now is that the world is, is just so much smaller and it's a lot easier to launch in, in other countries uh, uh, successfully, uh, much easier than it, than it used to be. Um, so for us, like I have global ambitions uh, for Squire. You know, I, I want nearly every barbershop in the world uh, to, to default to using Squire is, is, you know, is where we would like to go. And um, we already are in Canada and the, and the UK. Um, and, you know, wow. we have, to, to launch in some, some other countries. Uh, we're starting off with like English speaking, just because it's easier, culturally it's easier, the, the, we don't have to change the product, um, but there's no reason that eventually we can't have Squire you know, on different continents and different languages, because everybody gets a haircut in the world. It's a universal thing, there's barbershops in, in every country and every city in the world, so why not? Is it limited to just barbershops or salons? Or is that next? We have some salons using it, but we are very focused uh, on, on barbershops because uh, you know I think John was talking about this earlier. But like that focus is like is we look at it as an advantage. Mm -hmm. It allows us to build a better product to to build with specificity. Um, and there's a lot of other salon systems out there, but barbershops we can be like the dominant the dominant player. Um, so you guys spoke previously about going public. Is that in your plans to go public? And if so, what's the blueprint that you are putting forward to take the company public? I mean, you know, any it's 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 an option. At this stage, when you've raised as much capital as we have at the valuations that we have <clears throat> raised on, it's always gonna be something that's considered. But if so, it's it's probably a ways off. So I always think a really focus on like the next you know, 12 to 24 months. But ultimately, if we build a big business <clears throat> that's doing, you know, that's doing the type of revenue that, that we want to do, there'll be, uh, there'll be options. And, and an IPO would definitely be one of those options in terms of exits. <laughs> yeah, that shit got here, bro. some questions in here, but yo, hats off to Sam and, and Dave Salvan and the whole team. I know it's a team effort um, and we had the chance to, um, chop it up with your C2 early and you guys gave us guidance at, at loop and it's just uh, I'll forever be appreciative uh, of course also song was instrumental uh, for the loop raise introduces to mad investors got invested himself um, and and I appreciate you man because it's founders helping founders and it's black founders specifically helping black founders because we understand we kind of understand the path so I'll always see you as a founder that's around the bend for me um, and you can see further you're around and and I appreciate you just extending a hand back um, to, to help another founder out as, as we grow together. Yeah, man. I love it. This, yeah, this, we got to do that. We got to do that. 100%. Let's get some questions, Troy. Well, let's see. Ernest, if you got a question, you can raise your hand. 
I mean, while they're doing it, I'm, I'm still another one in there. So you briefly talked over, you, you start, you had 30 employees during the pandemic. You, you scaled to over a hundred. I think you said you're at 150 now. Can you talk about the complexities of doing that? Because I mean, do you guys, you don't have a central location. So I'm, I'm assuming everybody is spread out throughout the country. What, what are some of the dynamics and difficulties as you've grown? Yeah, everybody's spread out over the country. It's not because of the, the technological kind of innovations on, on that side, uh, people managing and stuff. It's not as difficult as you might be, like you might think logistically. Um, there's just like so many, uh, uh, you know, there's Slack, there's Zoom, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, CRM tools and different things. Um, but for me, the this, this struggle is more like just like culturally and, 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 you know, it's hard to get it like a pulse on morale when you're not seeing people physically. Um, so those are the things that we're thinking of, like, as, as we're reopening, how are we going to incorporate some type of in-person team events? Um, are we going to open like hubs in different cities or kind of reopen some of the offices we had before? So those are all the things we're thinking through now. There's a lot of uncertainty with COVID, though, because we don't know. It could be a new wave or whatever, a new strain. Hopefully there won't be. So if things go well, we plan on having some more in-person you know, interaction soon. I got, I got another one. Can I go? Can I ask another one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking this is like so brilliant, man. Like I said, you saved me a lot of time. But um, so when, when you're pitching the, the app to barbershop owners, obviously you're going to have the barbershop, the barbers preferably uh, become part of that. Is there any type of brand like ambassador? Like I, I could see you having us like a celebrity barber in this space and really taking off. Is that something that you guys are, have envisioned? Yeah. So in the barber subculture which is it's really subculture um you know if you go on instagram they live on instagram uh they have barbers who are like celebrities and some of them are celebrities they cut celebrities hair and some of them are just celebrities in their own right in, in the space and they have like a million followers and they're very influential for other barbers so we're working with what i would call like some of the most influential ones we call them our champions they're squire champions and they represent us when we go back to having events, they go to the events for us and they're kind of like our, our, uh, you know, our barber representatives. And they're like just some of the dopest well-known barbers and they're all shop owners too. So that's one of the requirements. They have to actually own, own a shop as well. So yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty cool to work with them. Yeah. EYL has earners. Puff has his Ciroc boys. Squire guys is champions. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's that's a fact. So, all right. Do, do we have any questions from EYL University? If you guys have any questions, this is the time. Once again, like I said, yeah. it's not every day that you get to speak to somebody that has, you know, a future billion dollar business very soon on their hands. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I saw Jay May. Jay May had a question in the chat. Billion used to be the main vision, you know, uh, and now it feels like. It feels doable. I used to be scared. I used to be scared of billion song. I don't, yeah. I, you know, and now it's like, okay, billion, but like, I th- you know, we can hit that. You know, billion. <laughs> there's this pressure externally and then internally as well. It's to always be thinking bigger, especially like you said, for black, black founders, founders of color. But yeah, when I first started, I was, you know, I was thinking maybe 20, 30 million, that'd be huge. Like that'd be right, like, right. <laughs> just sell it, do something else. And then you raise a little more and you're like, okay, maybe a hundred. <laughs> Some big, like a hundred million. I could, and now honestly, I'm thinking like billion. Yeah, we definitely want to do that. But I'm like, how do we get to ten billion? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Go big or go big. That's good. Maybe it's bad. You know, maybe that's just evil capitalism, whatever. But that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, we got a question. AOOG, my guy, what's going on? You've been hey. on Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, thank you guys again for just sharing, always sharing knowledge and just be tr- being true to the community. Really appreciate appreciate you both. Um, I was approached by a business to to um, develop an app, and I was we just want some guidance on how I can structure that deal, um, in a way that it protects my um, code and also secures me for the revenue that the pro- business projects to um, receive after building the code for them. John, you got any suggestions about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, Song would, would love your, t- I have some thoughts, but would love your take as, as someone whom had to, like myself, non-technical founders, you gotta bring a dev in. So how, how did you approach it? So if you believe in the company and you think that they can actually, you know, they're going after something big, ask for equity. So that'd be my, 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 you know, my suggestion. Uh, if, if you need the cash, then you can do a split where you say, you know, this, this will be the cash payment. And then I want some portion of the payment equity. That way you're protecting your upside. If they go on to create that next billion or $10 billion company, you're, you're going to do very well. That that's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What's a fair amount? What's the industry standard? Cause I was approached with um, 15% equity stake in the business. I don't know if that's, uh, this is my first project. So I don't know if this is, that's the industry standard or if I could ask demand for more. <laughs> uh, I'd say that's, I mean, that's a good amount. I mean, I, I'm not sure how, how, you know, how much uh, traction the, the business has already. I'm assuming it's like, it's just an idea, right? It's like PowerPoint. Right, it's just an idea for now. I think you have leverage to ask for more since it's a PowerPoint and they really need you and development talent is expensive. You know, I'm not sure if in New York, but if you are, you know, engineers are getting a buck 80 and you know, you're, you're getting stock options at Google, Facebook, Microsoft, any of these companies. So they got golden handcuffs. They don't want to leave because they're making a lot of money at their cushy engineering job. And Oh, by the way, there's fucking always granola and, and lunch and dinner (laughs) at the office. So good luck competing with that as a startup. So I think you're, if, if you are technical and you are full stack or front or back end, whatever your stack might be, I think you're at a position uh, of advantage now. But here's the thing, though. If you are already thinking about how you can exploit the business, then keep it pushing and save yourself the time and save them the time. But I think that your mindset should be and probably is, but just spelling it out, it should be, yo, you know. I want to be part of this business and I, I want you guys to see yourselves as a unit. Um, okay. And the best thing with a deal is there, there's no such thing as a good deal. If you feel good at their expense or vice versa, because then it's all oh, that friction is always going to come up. So the best thing is to cut a fair deal, which means that you're going to get a little bit less than you want and they're going to give away a little bit more than they want. But if you can find that middle ground, then you cut the deal and then you forget the deal and you can focus on the work. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate you, AOG. My guy. Be well, bro. Thank you for the question. Um, for yo, for those of you guys asking in the chat, if you guys head over to loopinsure.co slash EYL, loopinsure.co slash EYL, that f- entire uh, PDF framework along with all the other ones from the past weeks is available for download. So head over to loopinsure.co slash EYL to get your PDF hot off the press. 
Uh, let's get maybe two more. I want to respect Son's time. That was a good um, read. <laughs> I see a couple of hands raised. Yeah, Erner's, uh, the link is in the chat and two. It's in the chat as well. So you, you can find it there if you look at I'm them. watching the wait list, folks. I'm watching the list. I'm watching the downloads. So uh, go ahead and download the, download the tub, man. Um, <laughs> Chris, what's going on? Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. Can you hear me? Yeah, yep. yeah. What's going on, bro? Right on, man. Blessing to y'all, Kings. Um, I just had a question for Sanjay. Um, you spoke briefly about um, having to expand your team from 30 to 120. Um, this was kind of a piggybacking off of Troy's question. What were some of the hiccups or um, failures, successes, tips or tricks that you had about um, or had with um, your human resources? Hmm. Yeah. Um, this song, you know, by the way, just, just, this song, just like the word. Um, but uh, yeah, man, the first thing that I, that I would say is I learned how important it is to, to have a HR leader on the, on the team. Like we didn't have that for <laughs> until recently. <laughs> and I think I under underestimated like the importance of that. You know, I just think HR, whatever, you know, compliance, you know, but it's actually very important. Um, so making that hire was a key, um, utilizing good recruiting firms because actually recruiting people is a job in and of itself. Um, it, it, uh, it takes a lot of, uh, time and energy, and at first, the founders, we were doing it, but it, became, it can become, become a time drain um, if you're out there trying to do it yourself all the time. So eventually, we started bringing on recruiting firms, and their job was to go find the candidates for us, vet them, and then uh, you know, send them to us to be interviewed. So I think those two things really allowed us to expedite the number of people we're bringing on and, and hire and scale up. You know, pretty fast during 2020. And what were you paying those recruit, uh, those headhunters song, like 20, 20% of the salary, 25%? They're like 20, 25%. Um, yeah, it, it, too much. It's expensive, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to do it. Yes, sir. Appreciate um, you, Chris. Thanks. All right, last one. Let's get it in here. Uh, Jimmy, we coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. What's going on? What's good, team? Good to see. Oh, Jimmy, they got you in the matrix. You choppy. Yeah. Type, type your type, type your, Jimmy. We can't hear you again. Um, I'm tapping in based on the idea. Uh, my company. Oh, my bad. My bad. Give me two seconds. All right. Yeah, you got. They got you on the uh, Optimus Prime. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear yeah. you. Here we go. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, so my my I talked to you about this on uh, on Market Mondays. I got my brand new body. Jimmy, 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 type, Jimmy, yeah, type, type in the type chat. In, yeah, yeah, your Wi Fi is crazy right now. They um, <laughs> fortunately, we can't we can't actually hear. Around, but I'm trying to do. We have to think towards tech. We have to think towards you know NFTs being in the market right now. Yeah, Jimmy, we can't. We can't no. hear what you. We can't hear what you said. Yeah, that was Johnny Five talk. NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, just type in the chat so we 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 can ask the questions. Wi Fi, man, that's yeah. a bad time to have bad Wi Fi. Yeah, somebody actually put it in chat. Sanj, I'm gonna ask. Uh, um, I'm gonna ask you the one that uh that is in the chat. It says, in the case of your business, could you say in maybe uh, just a sentence what your moat is in terms of segment, technology, business model? What separates you from, from everybody else? 
Yeah, uh, so I think it's kind of all. It's, it's, it's so it's it's the demographic we're going after being very specific. Um, we're the only ones that are really like so focused on on barbershops in particular, and that that gives us an advantage. Um, it's our product mix, uh, like the ecosystem that, that 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 I mentioned. The more things that they're using of Squire, um, the harder it is for them to just leave and use something else. And you can't use Squire and, you know, another company. Like we're really all all encompassing. Uh, so a, as a result, it their, their business operations really just depend on being on the platform when they're on it. And it's very integrated. For example, we handle their payroll for the shop. So when they're paying out the barbers, like that goes to Squire. Uh, mm-hmm. the barbers get their uh, money, you know, direct deposited in, into their accounts. So just we just end up having a lot of tentacles um, that's, providing a lot of value, we think, making their lives easier, making their operations smoother, but at the same time, it's a product mode uh, and it provides some defensibility because um, not many other companies can do everything that we do. Mm, good old product mode. Yeah. John, Jimmy said he has his- uh, Yeah, let's just, before we wrap, let's try to give him one more see. shot. Jimmy, oh, we give you- Stay by the bell, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, what's I, up? What's I shit? appreciate you, I appreciate you. Are we back, are we good? Okay, not, let me try to make this snappy. Okay, great. So my my idea is I'm trying to change in the in the light of everything we've been talking about NFTs, about innovation in spaces, and about of course what Gary Vee is talking about. I'm changing the hang tags on my garments into limited edition collectible art pieces from artists that I, that are around. My brand is a is associated with street art, and I want to exemplify street art into into living life and you know, doing what we do. So I've uh, commissioned a few artists, but I want to see how we can create a space that's like a, a a more you know what i'm saying a more innovative space for the garment thing so part of the issue was getting rid of waste because we're buying hang tags the first thing you throw away so i said instead of it making the, the hang tag that you throw away let's make it a, a collector's item is in the nft space in the collectors in the collector's card space that's huge like especially if you have an artist over there like a crypt like a cryptic or a retina or somebody really dope you know ruben rojas these cats have ways to move the market in that in that regard i just wanted to see if we could talk about innovation in a space that hasn't really been like we talked about the barbershop being left alone for decades you know what i'm saying garments have been doing things the same way and it's very very difficult to get a physical thing into a digital space i just want to talk about that some more okay so content request um yeah we can cover that um i mean we always cover new different topics and there's different industries that you know need light over other industries as well so I'm assuming that, yeah, you would like us to have more of an in-depth conversation on on the garment industry and fusing, you know, it's interesting as far as fusing fashion with new age technology, mm-hmm. NFTs and all that stuff. We've been talking a lot about NFTs lately. So, um, yeah, we'll put it on the agenda. We'll put it on the to-do list to yeah. talk about fashion and technology and how they are coming together and how they can possibly come together. Yeah, I think we had spoke about it in the early crypto days when we were investing. There was, there was a few... Uh, coins that were trying to do that to help counterfeit production of, of merchandise. And so they had technology inside of the clothing. That way you couldn't replicate it. Yeah, so, that's yeah. what I was thinking. The NFTs is going to be big for... Yeah. Um, no, that that's actually really big for the sneaker world mm-hmm. because their sneaker counterfeit industry is a billion-dollar yeah. industry. And um, it's hard to really tell if you're getting a real sneaker or not. So if they can somehow put the NFT in with the sneakers, now you know that you have the real Jordans yeah. because you have a um, receipt on a blockchain and you know for a fact. Yeah. So that, in my brain, that would work well with um, sneakers 
um, luxury bags, luxury, luxury goods, yeah, anything that that has counterfeit um, attached to it, the yeah. NFT thing, or just any kind of blockchain technology where you can certify that. So yeah, it's interesting. We could definitely you know have a more in depth conversation about that. Yeah, yeah. Yo, Stock StockX actually <clears throat> became a billion dollar business doing precisely that. They did mm-hmm. manual authentication. When I went to Detroit, they toured me around the facility. I tried to vlog it. They had that shit locked down. <laughs> and they actually have people specifically trained to identify counterfeit babes and shit. And it's real cool. They school you and there's like, yo, if you look on the third panel underneath the sweater on the inside, then there's always an upside down monkey. And that's how you know that the shit is real. Um, so so I, I do find it fascinating. But it's fascinating to me how capitalists will uh, do that shit manually to create the value and then build brand around having that authentication. Um, and it just, it kind of reminds me of in a similar way, um, Squire and EYL and any other business out there been building brand equity. EYL is now known as that platform where you get the real, the real business shit. Um, Squire, same thing on, on, uh, the barbershop side and loop, hopefully same thing on, um, fair, transparent, inclusive insurance. Um, uh, but yo, this has been a great episode, man. Thank you. Song. appreciate you coming on. Uh, for the folks listening, man, it's just uh, these are these are rich conversations. You, you will get out of them what you so please. Uh, the depth is there, and oftentimes, um, you know, when I was kind of getting started, and still today, sometimes a like a line will breeze by. But if you rewind it and just listen to it and unpack it and absorb it, there's a lot of depth in in a lot of these lines. Like for example, one that stuck out with me is like a product mode. It got me thinking. Mm, that makes sense, which is why, like an insurance, for example, they bundle. You know, they'll they'll give you the loss leader and then bundle, so it creates a, a an entire ecosystem that's difficult for you to 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 leave, and then it increases your lifetime value, your customer, and so on. But song, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on, bro. I appreciate you. We're all rooting for you. We are rooting for you. Um, and um, yeah, man, we can't wait to see your success to the whole EYL community. If your barber is not on Squire, ask him to get on Squire. Um, let's show them what, what the EYL community could do uh, for each other. And when you go public, man, we'll be right there waiting to buy some some shares. Um, <laughs> so salute, man. Good luck to you. Of course, you and I will be in touch, but um, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it was great to have you on, man. And I hope that you and EYL will do, will do more things in the future because they got a crazy barber community for real. <laughs> for sure. sure. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. No, for sure, for sure. Shout out to the good brother, man. All right, Make boys, that support. does it for this week. Yeah, John, here goes a, there goes another one, man. Oh, uh, there's another five. one. We, got, we only got one we, more episode. We unlocked now. another boy. One more, what you got? <laughs> <laughs> no. So, yeah, it's been real, man. Um, I appreciate you guys. Um, this this uh this experiment has been has been great fun. And for those listening, like sometimes you got to experiment. Sometimes you got to you know, come together with people that you think are doing interesting things and, and see if there's magic to be made. And if you could strike but one magic moment, then for me, the experiences typically have been well worth it. You deepen with a collaborator in the space, you bring value to the community at large, and you create some magic moments. Uh, and I'm told that when, when Shadi is, is writing, he's writing down moments. Ship <laughs> <laughs> out. So... You already know, man. I respect you guys. I have a ton of respect for for you know that. Honestly, you guys' work ethic is ridiculous. I was just um, thinking that today. You know, it's so crazy that you say that. And by the way, Jim Jones, shout out to Jimmy. He told me to turn this pad into an NFT. NFT pad. So this will be an <laughs> NFT. Oh, oh shit, that's a good idea. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs>
But um, I was just thinking that today, man, I, I'm like, yo, it's crazy. You know, just we, we did a lot of stuff today and we still got to do some more stuff. And I was just thinking about that. Like, you know, a lot of times people, they don't understand like what goes into to being any level of, you know, success is, you know, the consistency in the work. You can mm -hmm. give somebody, you can give somebody the blueprint. Even this is a, a mess. Like we, for three weeks, we've given you a lot of tools and resources. Um, but the ones that's really going to win are the ones that not only apply it, but apply it every single day, right. day in, day out. Nope. There's no breaks. There's no, you know, you got to just do the work and that can never be discounted. Whenever we have these conversations, you cannot skip over work. Work mm -hmm. has to be done. 100%. And that shit is inconvenient too, right? Because you guys are in LA and the sun is shining out there. <laughs> and it'd be, a lot, it'd be a lot smoother to be by the pool that the right crib right we now. come alive right? at night, John. <laughs> what did you say? What you say? We come alive at night. <laughs> you come alive. Got you. Got you. Um, but you guys stay putting in the hours, man. The community takes note. Um, I'm doing the same thing over here on this side. And we are excited to close out the series strong next week, Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, man, people... I don't care what anyone says, man. People will not be able to say that we didn't deliver value and drop jewels and left the fucking blueprint right there in plain sight for people to follow. So if you don't follow it, honestly, it's on you. Um, so thank you guys. Head over to loopinsure.co slash EYL. Guys, listen, those frameworks are not going to be there forever. We are, the moment this series is done, it's fucking going away. All right. These are shit that I've learned like I've, I've wasted a lot of my own money. Fuck producing it. Producing it is easy. It's just designing it, learning this shit, internalizing it, putting it to, to the test and, and then packaging it in a way that is consumable for you all. Uh, I wish I would have these frameworks when I was getting started. There's tremendous depth to them. I hope that you guys can apply them to your game. And um, if you're finding value in them, let me know. Hit me up, jh at loopinsure.co. That's my actual email, by the way. Um, it's one that I use every day. So don't fucking spam me. But if you have questions, jh at loopinsure.co, I would love to uh I would love to chop with you all. Um, and I guess it's signing off until next week. There you have it, brother. Appreciate you. All right, y'all. Love is love. Brother. We'll see you next Peace. week. Peace. Next week it is. My graduates from my school being Forbes, backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details